Rock isn't dead. It's in flux. I'm Brit with Rock and Flux, and I'm talking with Jake from the band Health. Jake, I know you all started back in 2007, and that was when you released your first self-titled album. And from there, you all toured with Nine Inch Nails as an opener for them. Can you tell me a little bit about how that came about, working with Trent and like that tour and everything? I think at that time, Nine Inch Nails was pretty actively touring if I recall correctly, for the better part of a year in 2008. And they were doing a very extensive, like, very big production um, in terms of lights and, and, like, the stage presentations and bringing it all over the world. So they had, you know, and they've continued to do this if people follow it, but Trent's very involved about curating the openers. And usually they don't just have someone do 30 dates of a run. They sort of break it up and have bands do all these different regions. And I think that certain artists of that size, they kind of leave it up to their booking agency or their management, having someone else on the roster to find someone to stick on there, or they think it'll be a good fit or maybe push tickets or whatever. And I think that he's actually to this day still really involved with all that. And so there was just a lot of different bands that were sort of from the underground or indie world that were, sort of exciting and doing interesting things that he was taking out on tour. And then I believe we were in London playing a show and I got a text from my manager and it was like, do you guys want to go on tour with Nine Inch Nails? I remember distinctly because my European booking agent was at the show and he was like, oh, that's bullshit. There's no way that's happening. Because we were we were definitely probably the smallest band mm-hmm. that they had taken out with them. And, you know, we don't, especially at that time, we were a noise rock band. We didn't right, really have right, songs. Right. So that's how that started. And then we did a limited run. I can't remember how many shows it was. It was like, you know, eight or 10, not, not that many. But then we were sort of lucky enough to maintain a connection over the years and interact off and on. And from that inception of, of touring with them, that connection later turned into a song, you know, a collaborative piece of work so but yeah that's how it started i think that he just stays very involved uh with curating who's opening their shows yeah because he he just cares that much about the whole experience for people i think so that makes sense yeah and you know that's not unheard of you you get both things there's bands that are legacy acts that have been doing it forever and they don't ever talk to the opening band and they don't really interact with them and they probably barely pay attention and then there are other bands that really make it a point to go out of their way to meet them and to stay involved and Trent is definitely of that other camp and so you all have really been a a big touring band really since then get color was the next album in 2009 and then you took quite a while after that that's when I think you really started kind of honing in on your sound before you released death magic and that I feel like death magic is kind of what you all have been with now, like that style of music that really kind of started the honing of your sound, I think. But since then, you all pretty much like tour pretty extensively. So that kind of gets into the whole collaboration discussion and just how I, you know, I hate talking about COVID still, but it's still very much a real thing. I think, especially for the music industry, like there are still things being felt from all of those changes. So you all really went from touring to, 
I think it seems like focusing more on creating new music and then also collaborating with a lot of artists because you did quite a few through that time, which isn't everyone with Trent was another one of those. Was that directly related because of COVID or had you already planned on kind of doing collaborations and focusing more on recording at the time anyway? So, you know, each one of our LPs has always had a corresponding remix album. We came out of a time that there was this very fertile underground electronic music culture that was like centered around being exchanged and and discovered on blogs. And so there was all these interesting artists that were doing remixes. We were very inspired by that scene, even though we didn't make that kind of music. So every time we had put out a record, we've had a corresponding collection of remixes of the songs from that record. And we like symmetry in our band in terms of the catalog and the artwork and how everything is presented. We want it to sort of be balanced and proportional. And so coming up to the, you know, it's been a long time, obviously, and music is cyclical and the trends sort of rise and fall. And, and you know, there's different creative pressures that are waxing and waning. And we didn't want to jettison the idea of doing a remix collection, but by the time we got to like the fourth LP, we were really feeling like, you know, is the idea still valid? We don't want to just present a collection of remixes because that's what we always do. If it didn't feel vibrant or artistically worthwhile. So we started thinking like, all right, well, remixes are very much, they're collaborative, but in this sort of indirect way, because your sounds if you're the band being remixed are being interpreted through the palette and the artistic sort of perspective of another artist. And so you get this byproduct that wouldn't exist just from that person working on it, but you wouldn't create it either. So it's very collaborative, but it's indirect, not really like an open dialogue going on. So we thought like, well, what would be a way to sort of keep that, um, a collection of remixes or in the spirit of something like that, but not just be, recapitulating the same idea. And so we sort of hit on, well, well, what if we did collaborative tracks so that there would just be an open conversation and a piece of music that's being generated in real time by each artist. So you'll get the same sort of effect of, you know, the sound palette and the melodic inclination and all these different things of two different people. But, you know, instead of the existing song being recontextualized, you're just writing a new one. And so we were going to do that anyway. And we had already started. And I don't know, I'm going to be frank, I had—I can't really recall if it had crystallized into the idea of doing a full, full release. I okay. knew we were planning on doing many of them. And then it sort of, yeah, it became like, okay, well, that's going to just replace the remix album. Okay. We're going to have a collaboration album. Yeah, because Disco 4 Part 1 and Part 2 has some collaborations on it, right? So, yeah. They're all collaborations. Yeah, yeah. Each one has their own original track because we started doing that starting with the second remix album, they're doing mm-hmm. one original track and then everything else is remixes. So on these, there's one original track and everything else is collaboration. Right. Well, how do you go about like choosing who you're going to do those with? Because, I mean, looking at it too, you have some like larger people like the um, song Afterlife with Chino. And then you have other ones that maybe with like a band like The Soft Moon, who they're doing well, but they're not at the level of Deftones. So how does that all come about of who you all decide who to work with with those? So, hearkening back to the remix thing, you know, the way remixes work for really big bands historically is it's just a sort of purely a marketing exigent. It's a way to prolong a release cycle. Mm -hmm. 
you know, okay, Coldplay is going to get a Marshmallow remix or whatever kind of thing. And it's like a little bit, oftentimes, not not so much in the dance music world, but it can be very cynical. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll shoot out some remixes and then maybe people will pay attention with sell a little bit more tickets or whatever kind of thing. And obviously the size of our band, like we just never had that perspective at all. So that carries over to the collaboration. So the only mandate is just whether or not we think that the two bands together could make something good. So it doesn't really matter if one is like completely unknown and another one is fucking nine inch nails or whatever. We would never sit down and be like, okay, how do we get as much out of this as possible in terms of marketing exposure? And then just say, well, well that band's small. Nobody's going to know who they are. Well, we don't, we don't think about it that way. We want to think about it like, well, we just want to make good songs. The great thing about a collaboration like that or a remix or whatever, I mean, truly it's true of any piece of music that you make though, is that what's sort of liberating about it is you go into it trying to explore whether or not you guys have something to say together in a piece of music. And if you don't, and it doesn't work, then fuck it. Who cares? Right. You just don't use it. So it's just like when you start a song, you start a song idea, whether or not you're in a rehearsal space with the band trying to jam or you're at home on a computer and like, you know, a lot of them don't work out for us. Fortunately, that didn't really happen on any of these collaborations. I mean, if anything dies out, it's usually it's like maybe there's not enough interest from one party or people are busy or, yeah. you know, there's a lot of life that can get in the way. But the one thing that I feel that we did a good job with, because I, I don't like to, I don't typically feel comfortable trying to pat ourselves on the back, but I do think that we're good at choosing people to work with. And I think that comes from being just fans of music. Yeah. You know, we're fans. We look at these bands and we think like, wow, these guys do really interesting, amazing uh, art and mm-hmm. we would love to be a part of that. And that's sort of how right. we approach it. I mean, it's a good relationship builder too, because I mean, the reality is the music scene is, is about relationships, you know? So I feel like that's a good way to, to talk to other artists and just get to know people too. It's been um, really gratifying. I mean, I think it's, you know, you've been referencing some of the dates of the releases, you know, we've been doing this for a long fucking time. Aside from not wanting to repeat yourself, artistically speaking, you know, you want to get, inspired and shocked out of your everybody has their own proclivities in their mm-hmm. life in the same way that they make music and even when you're trying to do something different from what you did last time you can still only do what you would do you're not going to ever do anything that you wouldn't do even right. if you're trying to do something that's going to shake you out of your rhythm but when you in, inject a completely other person whose musical mind works in a totally other way there's no way around the fact that you're going to do things in the song that you would never creatively you just wouldn't have access to right it's a challenge in some ways i'm sure too right which is a good thing like it challenges you musically to see what you can come up with i think absolutely i think it's uh enriching in that way i think that came at a time in the band you know just having been doing it for a long time just having anything that is revitalizing is is of a lot of worth definitely i mean the newest one uh, remix wise is you just did one not too long ago for corn the worst is on its way did you work with them directly to do that well you know like all this stuff remix stuff is like we we had contact with them in terms of notes and everything we didn't go get in a room with them they were on tour i think in support of their most recent album but yeah we had a back and forth and that that was the thing about the second remix collection is in terms of commenting on what you brought up earlier about covid 
which is very much still a real thing. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. like I said, before we started this call, um, my partner has COVID right now. She mm-hmm. missed Christmas and New Year's and oh our son's goodness. birthday because she's quarantining, not trying to give it to him and us. Right. And my dad independently has COVID. And I'm trying it's to, crazy. Him, but, you know, it's very much very exerting a very serious influence on, you know, our experience. And we've been lucky enough to get back to touring, but there was never a plan to have a Disco 4 Part 2. That just happened because COVID just continued. So Disco 4 Part 1, the majority of those collaboration tracks had at least one day of like, we're all in the studio. There's maybe yeah. one or two where the people just live in different cities and it just didn't work out. But otherwise, even if they did, we, we try to, hey, you're going to be in LA. Like, why don't we meet up for a day? Yeah. Or we worked with a bunch of LA artists and started the track and then finished it remotely. And then part two, it's like almost entirely all remote because that was just the lingering like, okay, fuck, we're not going back on tour. Venues right. are not opening up. No one is. I mean, that's why there's a Nine Inch Nails one on there. It's yeah. like they were home. Right. You know, we, right. we all wrote that track in the dead of COVID where there was no vaccines and it was all Los Angeles musicians on conference calls all in different places. Right. So it's like Trent, Atticus, me, John, like we're all on the phone and like, you know, B is sending his drums in from his place. We're doing a pass at John's house. He's sending it to me. I'm adding vocals. Then we're sending that to Trent and Atticus. They're sending it back to us and they're never together and we're never together. It was very much like a COVID moment. Well, how do you feel about that as a musician? Because I feel like historically you guys have recorded together in a room for most of your albums. So, I mean, do you have a preference for that? And what was the experience like? Do you feel like it affected the creativity that you had with it? Well, it's obviously a different process. And I would have preferred that we all be able to get together and work. But at the same time, we made a decision to make a second. A lot of bands, um, understandably, took that lockdown time to just make a new record and their projects made a new record. And then that record was ready to go. And we talked about that, but I have like a home life situation where, you know, I had like a very young child and my father-in-law <laughs> is uh, immunocompromised. Mm-hmm. Like I had to be extremely careful. So it's not like I could expand my bubble to include my bandmates who don't have the same responsibilities that I have. So they can, you know, they can yeah. be like, I'm going out to eat in, in restaurants now or whatever right. kind of thing. And so it was a very conscious decision on our part to be like, I don't want to make the next health LP over zoom. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we just decided to continue the collaborations and yes, absolutely. I would always prefer an in-person session, but you know, COVID giveth and COVID taketh away. I don't know that there's a Lamb of God or a Nine Inch Nails collaboration with health if there isn't COVID. Because, you know, I have a a relationship with Trent in that it's not like we're friends and we hang out on the weekend and shit like that. It's not what the relationship is. But I feel like they've always been very supportive of us over the years. and, And I felt close enough with him to send him an email and I knew he wouldn't be offended by that email right. he'd either be busy or he wouldn't be busy or he'd be right. interested or he wouldn't be interested you know so i had that level of comfort but i think practically speaking he's an incredibly busy man he's got a big family he scores a lot of films mm-hmm. and he has nine inch nails like right. this right. legendary music project that's all him and now atticus and 
we had discussed, well, what would be the number one get for a collaboration? Not in terms of like, oh, who's the biggest band, but just in terms of who do you admire and who still makes great music? And it was Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. I, if I were, that if that were me, I'd, yeah, I'd say the same thing. So I get it. Yeah. And so it's like, well, I have a way to start that conversation. And, and that would never have happened if it would have been like, oh, I'll ask my manager to see if he can get his manager's contact. But I think that it ended up working because everybody was stuck at home. They were just fucking stuck, you know? Yeah. And like at that stage, even if they'd been finishing films, like film production was shut down. So Everything. most of what had been shot had been scored, you know? And you could be making a new record, but making a record is hard and it's like, it's, it's lonely enough as it is just mm-hmm. trying to sort through it artistically. And I just thought, this is a maybe a way for we're all feeling as isolated as we've ever felt and having any sort of connection to to other people to get out of the headspace of just being stuck in your house, I think was appealing. And so that's why I thought like, oh, well, it's, it's worth a shot. And it ended up working out. Yeah. And the song so, was great, too. And it, it really applied to what was going on, you know, so. Yeah, I'm, it's very of that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was an incredibly bleak time. Especially considering, you know, COVID notwithstanding, there was a lot of other things going on as well. That was the sort of heat of like Trump not conceding the election and yeah. then the George Floyd killing and the riots. There was, you know, it was just yeah. uh, it was a crazy time. Like our, the whole ship was going down. It so. was yeah, it was a crazy time in our history, very unknown and unsettling too. So yeah, and, I mean, I still have a reaction to uh, my partner and I were talking about that. She and I were watching something. And it was like. You know, you see the footage of the empty streets in Times Square yeah. or London, or then you see the, the storming of the Capitol, and it's, like, kind of trauma-inducing. Yeah. Like, holy shit, I, that wasn't that long ago. And that moment, like, now I can process it, but at the time, I was processing, like, I do not know what is going to happen. No, we live through that. I, you know, you see all the memes, and it's like, you know, people, like, talking about the pandemic and that and, like, other things. It's like, how many... I don't need any more history-making events in my lifetime. Like, I think I've gotten enough now. Yeah, that's what I would always say was, um, I'd prefer to read about this on Wikipedia than read through it, even though it's really interesting. Right, exactly. And I mean, so you all finally started touring. When did you actually start touring again post-COVID? Was it the end? It was the end of 21, right? Or was it not until 2022? It was 2021. We started doing shows. So we did... You did some festivals, didn't you, I think, to start out? Yeah, we did a festival in Las Vegas. That was the first one. And then we did Riot Fest. And then I think we maybe only did two or three shows in 2021. So then this started happening again until fall and spring. Okay. And then we had um, my kid running around. It's okay. I have a three year old, so I guess. Oh, my son just turned three yesterday. Okay. Mine, Mine was in July, so he's a little bit older, but. Um, yeah, and his mom has been isolated from him for 10 days. She's losing her mind. Yeah, I don't I don't know how she's doing that. It's crazy. I get it, but it's really hard when they're little. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I understand because I have to go on tour. Right. But yeah, you know, we didn't do very much touring in 2021, and then we did a fairly substantial amount in 2022. We did like three European tours. One of them was a full five weeks, and we did an entire U.S. tour. So, you know, we went back to touring. Do you feel, how did you feel it was post COVID? Did you feel like things felt the same or did you still feel like the shows were different? I I mean, in Phoenix, it was pretty packed. So I felt like things seemed normal, 
but I would just wonder so what your perspective is. It's different for different bands. You know, yeah. it kind of depends on your demographic and like the kind of our touring in 22 was some of the best touring we've ever done in terms of amounts of people at the shows, mm-hmm. just excitement level, people buying shirts, all those kind of things. Right. So it felt like not only did we come back, we came back better, but then I know that there's other bands that have had. And talking to promoters and booking agents and other bands, it's been like a pretty mixed bag. Like there's certainly a, you know, you know, it's kind of a crap shooting. You don't know what's going to happen. Like, are right. people going to come? I think that there's definitely a lot of people, the pandemic retired them from live shows. They just yeah. don't. And that, that still happens at our shows where people will come and they'll be like, they'll comment on Instagram or they'll say something to you and they'll, they'll say, this is the first time I've been out since COVID. Wow. So that's still happening. Um, but I think we were fortunate to have the experience of really good shows in 2022. Right. I mean, yeah, I was there. I, at least I was there in Phoenix and I thought the crowd was, I thought it went really well and the crowd was pretty full. I so, mean, that was a great show for us for Phoenix where we historically, Phoenix is not like a big market right, for us. Right. So, you know, we consistently saw more people at our shows, especially for us, I think, We've just noticed, you know, we've always been like a coastal elite band, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and I know. That, like, you know, we, we've historically always had good shows in Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, and Austin. And then in between, maybe people don't really know about us. And since we kind of dipped our foot into maybe more connecting to people in the heavy music community yeah. and doing the collaborations, we've just been noticing we kind of just have pretty good shows no matter where we go and that's new and i think that that's been um very gratifying do you think it's because of the collaborations that that's because of that or do you think it's because of like social media and just also people finding new music a little more easily now i mean i think there's probably a combination of all those things realistically but i definitely think that there's something to do with fans of heavy music are very dedicated and it's not necessarily predicated on like a zeitgeist movement of like, oh, yeah. well, what's hip right now at the moment? It's just it's like real genuine music fans. And right. those people are kind of everywhere. And I think that we maybe connected to a lot more of those by doing these collaboration tracks with Nine Inch Nails or Lamb of God or Chino from Deftones. Yeah. You know, like people found out about us that wouldn't have found out about us before. Right. It kind of like a little bit from the goth scene too, in addition to yeah. all those, I think. Oh, hugely. I mean, I'd say... We've noticed like a complete sea change in the demographics of the fans at our shows. Right. Just in terms of who's there. And like, there's a lot of goth people. Like, at a health show in 2012, you know, you would never have seen, like, now our shows, like, you could have someone in like bondage gear or cat ears or a slipknot shirt or whatever, you know, like, uh, you wouldn't have seen that before. Well, yeah, because you and guys were like, on pitch for it before, and now that would never probably happen, which I actually think is a good thing. But Oh, absolutely. You know. It's fantastic. And you know, the thing that's really ironic about that as well is that, like, the sort of mandate for pitchfork is that, especially now, it's a very, yeah. it's like, you're on the cutting edge, and it's kind of, like, sort of viewed through a political lens as well. Yeah. But yeah. we've noticed, like, since we sort of moved into a the heavy music space, like, our crowd has become much more diverse. Right, which is what you want. And I mean, like, diverse, where there's a lot of trans people at the shows, there's a lot of, there's minorities, there's, there's, you know, there's black people, brown people, all these different kinds of things, where it's like, when you have a pitchfork crowd, it's all, like, white college kids. Right. 
But it also just has that pretentious air about it, you know? And for me, I don't think that's what really music is essentially about. It's about anyone being able to connect with something. And it doesn't matter what your background is. And that's the beauty of then, like, seeing a band that you like and seeing it live is you see all the other people that also connect with that music. I mean, that's why I, I typically stay away from doing reviews and stuff like that, because for me, who am I to judge what somebody else is putting out into the world? If yeah. I don't like something, I just don't listen to it. It's really simple. And I that that's my personal mentality on it. But, you know, places like Pitchfork, that's all they pretty much do. So... And I have no problem with music criticism. I think it could be a vital thing, even though I think that it's probably just, it's dead largely in a lot of ways, just because of the way technology has evolved, not because it's invalid in the same way that like people don't read books anymore either, you know, shit happens. I'm glad we actually finally got to do this. I I appreciate you uh, being persistent and following up with me. I'm sorry that it didn't work the first time. No, it's okay. It's totally okay. I I totally appreciate you um, taking the time to talk with me. Thank you, Jake, um, for your time, and I appreciate it. And everyone listen to this on all of the podcast streaming services coming soon.